And good morning. Andy's taking the day off today. We are pleased to have our friend Barry Strands back with us. Guy knows his stuff, so if you have uh, any kind of home improvement question, take the time, call us or text us, and uh, ask Barry that uh, the particular question. I wonder how many people ask you, because you know so much and you teach classes, yep. I know, about codes, various uh, codes around different areas of... Uh, it's surprising. I get phone calls from contractors or emails or text messages on a regular basis, weekly for sure, asking me about stuff and going, hey, can I do this? My building official told me I shouldn't uh, be doing this or this isn't okay. So I get to have some fun with those things. And stuff I don't know, I pass along to a select group of people who will do research and Is get there back a lot to of, me and they'll make me look smart. Very, there's a lot of variables out there given the communities, the, the different rules and regs? Well, I think that's what the perception is. People are thinking, well, the city drives the code. But the truth is the state of Minnesota drives the code. And we have now a statewide code since 2008 that's been adopted statewide. Now, it's not enforced in, with consistency in each jurisdiction. And that's the thing that gets people into uh, questions about what the code actually says because people begin to think in terms of, well, my building official told me I needed to do this. Well, in another jurisdiction, the official's interpretation of the code is a little bit different. And so they will say something. When I had my remodel done in my house, my building official came in in Minneapolis and he said, these are the five things I care about and I'm going to make sure you get these right. And I'm like, he wasn't saying he didn't care about the rest. He was saying that he had a preference for making sure those are the key things. And again, code's about protecting life, health, and safety. Sure. So the bottom line for people is some stuff that we require by building code doesn't address life, health, safety quite as intently as other issues. You know, so stair tread rise run, we've had a, a riser on stair treads of eight inches and a tread depth of nine inches in Minnesota since 1972 when the state of Minnesota adopted the 1970 Uniform Building Code. Okay. Well, we changed that now here back in 2009, and now we're looking at a seven and three quarter maximum step height and a 10 inch minimum tread depth. And does that mean that the houses that have the older style are all unsafe? No, but now if you build to the new code, you have to build with those new numbers. And it changes, well, how much area the stairs take up. And that was an intent to go to a national code standard that helped people, especially those who have either um, elderly walking gait, oh, yes. which means it's a little tougher to get up a steeper staircase, or challenges with ch- children as well. And so they've made the stairs easier to access at that level. Now, anyone could always make stairs shallower. This maximizes what you can do. You can't make it any steeper than these new numbers. Now, I know you've been a longtime friend of the uh, Lindis family, Lindis Construction. Hey, I was driving yesterday, and I yes. saw a Lindis truck, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm waving at him, and I'm like, roll down your window, say hi to Andy for me. You know, and these guys had no idea who I was. I'm in an unmarked vehicle, you know, driving around some crazy guys. Maybe they were the worried it was a little road <laughs> rage. <laughs> yeah, like, this, this guy's nuts. But I'm a little bit out there like that anyway, so it's good. Yeah, oh. love the Lindis guys. They're and, a great, uh, great family. Yeah, and I, I met Kevin in class years ago, and then Andy, his son, through sure. him, obviously, and these guys are running a business the way I think it ought to be run and taking care of stuff and they, trying to make their customers as happy as it's humanly possible. I really do that. And uh, you, for those that don't know, maybe they're new to the show, uh, you uh, yourself, among other things, you've been in the construction business uh, a long time. You're yeah. still a young guy, but yeah. I mean, you've been yeah. in the yeah. business right. a long time. Yeah. You look at me and go, young guy, it's like I'm 60 <laughs> years old now, and I feel sometimes like I'm 27, so I don't get how yeah. that works. It's what's but, inside. It's yeah, what's that's inside. right. I'm the youngest 60-year-old I know. That's what <laughs> I'll tell people. Go. But uh, you do work, among other things, besides teaching for uh, the pro-ed uh, resource. 
uh, Kyle Hunt and partners. Yep. The, those uh, you folks build higher end homes. Yeah, and I think among other things. Yeah, Kyle does never like when we say higher end because he's like, well, "What is it? What's even a better mean? euphemism?" For I don't that. know. I don't know. I, it's, I think I think of them this way, and and what we're fortunate enough to be able to do is to work with customers who kind of have expectations of near perfection mm-hmm. and then call on us to kind of address that and do our very best to, to accomplish that thing. Still, you know, you work with wood and you work with paint. You look with real materials yeah. and perfection. I have my vendors, the subs who work for us are like, you know, Barry, perfection's not possible. I'm like, well, let, I'll tell you when it's close <laughs> enough. <laughs> so I tease a lot of our crews. When it's perfect, you can go home. But and if it's not perfect, don't even ask. You're, you not, and done, I, you're not done yet. Once in a while, you and I chat about what projects you have yet to get done at your house, but uh, you, you, you've done a lot of work on your own, just privately. I don't feel good about talking about things that I haven't actually done myself. Uh-huh. So I want to be the guy who's experienced things. And so most recently, Denny, there was a house that went through a fire, and they did not want to salvage any of the old granite countertops. Mm. And I have always wanted granite countertops. And so since they were going to release those to the dumpster, I said, you know what? I'm your guy. And they were happy to let me take them. And nine granite slabs, all 25 inches deep or deeper, and at least five five feet in length. And one of them, get this, one of them was 104 and a half inches long. And I had a countertop that was 102 and a half inches long. And now I'd never cut granite. Now you got to understand, if you're listening out there and you're a DIY guy, you're a do-it-yourselfer, and you're like, well, I could never do granite. Well, that was where I was six months ago. Were I, you? I, yeah, I could, I've never done it, never thought about doing it. And so I went online, and YouTube helped me understand it didn't look that complicated. You yourself went on YouTube? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, I'm, a, I'm not a stone guy. I'm yeah. a wood guy, yeah. and I can do building science and stuff, but I'd never done this. I cut marble and installed tile and uh, those kinds of things, of course, for years. But cutting countertop granite and polishing wow, it, that seemed like something completely out of my, my league. And so I went in and looked at it, researched it, and I ended up buying a couple of tools. Makita actually makes a water-based polishing machine that's really, it's like a grinder, and it's so sweet. And then I went online and found some grinding pads for 35 bucks and bought those. And, and How I, do you cut it? Well, it's... I. Honest, you won't. People won't believe this. I told my wife I am using a battery-operated Delta circular saw with a diamond bit. I'm, I'm sorry, diamond blade, and then a watt water from the hose. <laughs> and you're, you're like, it's, it's like you can't be serious. You can't be cutting this with a battery-operated tool. And I'm, I'm doing it. So I, well, you clamp the hose down onto your surface so the water flows onto this thing, and then you have at it. And then it's amazing. I use a guide and get a nice straight cut, and then I grind it and polish it. And then I went online to find out what enhancers are smart, and I enhance it. And then I asked my kids to go, okay, Dad cut two of these edges. Two of them were factory. Which is which? And when they can't tell the difference, I have you a happy heart. I mean, little hands are just, I'm ex- so excited. I, I, I remember uh, uh, picking up what I thought was maybe a foot square piece of countertop granite. Yeah. It's, it felt like a weighted ton. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, how, did you, how did you handle all the weight? Well, that's the biggest challenge. I can't move them around by myself. I mean, the big slabs, granite's anywhere from 18 to 22 pounds per square foot. Some of the darker colors will get into the 23, 24 pound per square foot range. So if you've got a two-foot-deep, five-foot-long top, you've got 10 square feet, you're looking at a slab of granite that's probably 200 pounds, 
anywhere from 180 to 250 pounds. Yeah. So then you need a little bit of help. And well, so I researched. I think that's why I have kids, Danny. <laughs> the hey, I need all of you right now. We're moving granite. Oh, and they, you know, they come with their you know wagging their tails between them. You know, they're not very happy. The pack mules. Yeah. Okay, hang on, uh, Barry. We're, we're, Barry's in for Andy today, and we're going to be uh, opening up the phone lines for your home improvement questions and text the line too. So those on the line, hang on. Uh, the text number is eight one eight zero seven, or uh, give uh, Barry a shout on the phone six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. And when we come back, Barry, let's talk a little bit about some of the other finishes that you were mentioned. You mentioned marble, and we're talking granite, too, among other things. So Absolutely. we'll see what else Barry's been up to at his home. Partly cloudy, 65 degrees, here on 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Home Improvement Show, presented every Saturday by our friends at Lindis Construction. Uh, Barry Strands is in for Andy Lindis today, and we've got callers. I see a line is open if you want to uh, call in your home improvement question, 651 651- Nine eight nine nine two two six, or uh, send a text, and we've got those two at eight one eight zero seven. Barry, let's go uh, to the phones sure. and see if we can help out some folks. Christine is first up here from Richfield. Hi, Christina. How can we help you? Hi, I was calling about leaf guard gutters. I bought a new home recently, and um, it's a real small house, but um, I really need leaf guard gutters because of the leaves I get. Oh sure. sure. And I wonder, do I need to get a new roof with the gutters? Well, the condition of your roof is the critical issue, and I would say that probably not. I mean, do you know when the roof was uh, most recently installed? I don't recall, but they, when it was inspected, they said the roof was in good shape. Yeah, then okay. uh, highly unlikely, yeah. no. There's no connection between the roof work okay. and a gutter installation at all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and what's the approximate cost? It's a small ranch home around 1,000 square feet, but it's not straight lines. There's a lot of jutting in and out. Yeah, so that's why we would just have you call Andy and ask him. Call LeafGuard, and and they'll give you a number that will be fair in the marketplace for the quality that they're putting on. And they'll come for free, too. Absolutely. They'll give you an estimate, a free estimate. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Just just call one. But that's the best way. Otherwise, we get people have expectations and the number's off because we couldn't see the situation. Too many variables. Yeah, we can't really do that on the radio. Yeah, 1-800-LEAFGUARD, and uh, you'll be glad I've had them for almost 20 years, Christina, so... Yeah, my parents have had them like 15 years. There you go. Yeah. Um, is there a best time of year to do it or a cheaper time of year where they're not as busy? Well, there, that conversation comes up frequently. And <laughs> with, when companies are small, sometimes when they get slow, they'll incentivize based on season. But as um, Midwest Leaf Guard, as the Linda's company has grown, that's not as true now. So okay. as soon as get in the queue and get going. And they have their division that people just do that. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's, okay. so give them a call, Christina. You, you'll be glad you did, as your, par- as your parents know. <laughs> right, exactly. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks Thanks for the call. Yeah, they're great gutters. 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Mel is calling from, I think, uh, Silver Lake. Go ahead, Mel. Thank you. Yeah, say I've got a house that uh, was built in 1996, and the attic uh, was blown cellulose, which sure. has uh, greatly settled over the years. Does it equally, as it loses inches, lose our value as that stuff settles? Mel, that's a terrific question, and unfortunately, when you talk about the time in which you were installing your house, a common practice back in that day was to blow that cellulose in in terms of the number of inches of insulation. And so one technique that was oftentimes used for the contractors to make more money was that they would actually fluff the insulation by adding too much air to it. Hmm. So it's like looking at a pillow where you now get some settling 
typically cellulose will get blown in and then it, it'll reach its final destiny in a, a destination of thickness or R value in about six months. And generally then it's done settling and it won't settle out anymore. So it hits that number. But as, yes, we lose inches of insulation, we also lose R value. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, All sorry. Right, well, thank you. Line is open, 651-989-9226. There's a question here that uh, about LeafGuard gutters, and I'm not sure, but I, I'm, I'm guessing... Do you install this? What the text says. Do you install leaf guard gutters in the Bell Plain area? Uh, I would think that's yep. yeah, they'll drive, yeah. It's not that far away. No, so one eight hundred leaf guard to that texter one eight hundred leaf guard, and they'll uh, they'll come over with an estimate and tell you how long it uh, would take and when they can get to it. Yep. Now here's someone who's uh, and I want to get back to your project or projects at your house, Barry. But uh, texter says I want to redo our master bath. Where do I start? <laughs> wow. Yeah. There's a good question that uh, deserves a little bit lengthy answer. Uh, number one, I tell people to start with design. What do you want the final look to be? And if I, I don't think we talked about this last week, but if you don't know the website, house.com, H O U Z Z.com, free website. Uh, or even if you're not on Pinterest for ideas, I would say start with ideas. You need to know what you want as an outcome before you begin planning. Makes sense. And so I can get people to spend money on higher quality materials, but it's hard to get them to think all the way through design. I'm in a situation right now with people who looked at some samples months ago and thought they were good with it. And now that we're actually putting it into their house, they're like, this isn't what we expected. Uh-oh. And so we're rethinking the whole finishing process of their home and maybe delaying the end of our project for a month because they want to now look at this in real life. So you have to have a sense of what you want. Then once that's determined, you need to make sure that the things that you're going to be installing, let's say fixtures, fittings for the bath, are either in stock at a local place or if you're going to order them, that you know what the lead time is. I don't have people start doing demolition until they know when they can get their final fixtures. And then with the bathroom, I tell people there must be a secondary bath operating in the home. So you've got to have oh, facilities. You can't just yeah. – I'm serious oh. because people will like, well, we'll just pull the, to- the toilet so we can work on the floor. And then it's like, well, now what? We didn't think about <laughs> that. Well, there are services that will come out, and they'll drop off a biffy for you, you know, to put in your front yard. But yeah. if you weren't counting on that, that adds to the expense of the project. So I tell people, are you going to reframe it? Are you going to change the dimensions and structure? If you can leave plumbing in place, you're going to save money doing that. And there are a number of ways to – uh, uh, simply cover up a bathtub, for example, and put a, f- a liner in if you want to stay on the, a low-budget style remodel project. Now, most of our customers gut everything and start fresh. And then the question, we were just seeing one on Lake of the Isles, Danny, mm-hmm. and the floor in this old Lake of the Isles home was four and a half inches out of level in 12 feet. Oh, my goodness. Now, the owners bought the house knowing that there had been a massive amount of settling. But now the question is, do you want us to level off this floor? And if so, how close can we actually get to level? So we ended up cutting down one part of the room and raising up another to bring this thing into about a quarter of an inch in plane or in level, I should say, wow. and lasered it in and, and addressed the floor that way. But there was thousands of dollars of cost to do that. But if you're going to put white Carrera tile in a herringbone installation on top of a <laughs> You've floor, have you would like that thing to, to be, be pretty even. when you're done. Well, you, uh, depending on the budget, somebody's budget now, let's, let's say it is a bath 
whether it be a whole house renovation or, or you know, a master bath, would you, depending on the budget, as I said, hire a designer, architect, depending on the job? I think that it's depending on the job. I mean, most of our entry-level 19, let's say 50s homes, a ranch style is going to be a 5 by 10 or maybe a 6 by 10 foot bath. And in those cases, there's so little design option in terms of location of fixtures that it's really about finishes and color choices. And I think most homeowners can do that researching on the web. But if you get into a master suite where you might want a handicapped accessible shower with glass on three sides and it's going to be something that would be fitting for a million and a half or two million dollar home, that's an entirely different ball game. I would teach in classes where guys who were working the low end would say, hey, we remodel baths all the time for $6,000. And guys who work the high end would look at them and say, that, that'll buy the bathtub. What are you talking about? <laughs> You know, that's all that's going to do in, in the jobs I work on. So the range is really diverse, and it's hard sometimes to try to give a one-size-fits-all answer to a question like that. But in my mind, even if the design is only what finishes, what look do we want at the end of the oh, day? okay. Minimally. We, yeah, you have that. to know that. Otherwise, you don't know if you got it or not. And then you spend all this money, and you're like, I've had customers who did their kitchens, and they're like, I, I, I don't even like it now. What do you mean? Well, I don't know if it's what I wanted. Well, you can't start anything until you know what you want for an outcome. Critical and detail, and it gets overlooked so frequently. I think, too, and you know, my wife watches these, uh, these shows, you know, remodeling shows, where, where all the video is edited, and it yes. takes a half hour to remodel yes. the whole home. Yes. Or whatever. And, yes. And it, it kind of gives, I would imagine, some folks an idea, I can do that. You know, I did 95 episodes for Home and Garden Television years ago, and I was amazed. You could do a show just on outtakes of the things that happened <laughs> off camera that were like, okay, this is reality. We're trying to film something, and this is what's really going on. This is the real world. The problem with those shows is it makes them seem believable. Yeah. And then pl- pay attention to the sped-up camera. We don't know how much preparation was done. Stuff is sitting waiting in the wings just off of the camera's line, and this is ready to go. And you think you can do that in a weekend? Out of your mind. Yeah. Now, when those people, let's take, they say, let's say send a family away for a weekend, they bring in people to rec- redecorate yes. a space. Yeah, but they're talking about 100 people involved in the process. You haven't got that kind of resource in a typical residential remodel. That's right. It's television. Yeah, stuff could be done. They do a competition every year for the fastest house. You know how fast they can go from ground to dig to foundation to house? And they can do a start to finish now in about 32 hours. (laughs) And that's stick framed. But you're talking about 1,000 people involved in the process. absolutely. Wow. Tell yeah, you what, it's fun to watch the videos online. It is, it is. Uh, we have to take a break here. We have another half hour of the show to go, so if you have a, have a question for Barry, we're taking uh, phone calls or text messages as usual, and there is a line open, 651-989-9226, or send uh, Barry a text, 81807-81807. In the Twin Cities here on CCO, right now, 65 degrees. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And welcome back to the Home Improvement Show around every Saturday in the 9 o'clock hour. Thanks to our friends at Lindis Construction. Andy Lindis taking the day off today. Uh, In his place, Barry Strand is back with us helping us out. Uh, If you have any kind of uh, home improvement question you want to chat with this guy, 651-989-9226 or a text uh, 81807, we have both here, Barry. Uh, let's go to uh, back to the phones, then we'll grab some text messages. Jerry in St. Paul is first up here. Go ahead, Jerry. Yes, sir. Uh, Barry, uh, I have a question for you on my gutters, actually my sister's home. 
the gutters are sagging so bad that a lot of the water is flying over the top. Sure. And, and she has the ferrule and spike uh, attachment system, and I looked at the spikes, and maybe some of them might be coming out maybe a quarter inch. Most of them are seen to be intact, and they're not the original gutters. I think it's the second set of gutters. So I'm wondering, number one, can I replace the spike with a screw? Number two, can I put a strap on there, but I can't lift the bottom shingle up to slide a strap underneath to nail that baby in? Yeah, the challenge with that is the the attachment point. But yes, you can remove the spike and use a screw, which is what I recommend. The challenge is to break open that first shingle tab and get it underneath that location. Sometimes I tell people that if you've got old shingles laying around, the solution is, I should say, original shingles laying around that came with the install. You can take that first course off, reinstall the gutter, and then drop a new shingle in on top and protect the water control that way. And that's really a pretty good idea. The biggest problem is getting them to break loose, not something you're going to do on a hot day. When, when those asphalt binding agents connect shingle to shingle, they really do keep that roof as an intact system designed to stop lift up from weather. But it is doable. It's just real challenging. All right. 651-989-9226. By the way, text number is 81807. Uh, here's a text came in a bit ago, uh, Barry, with windows. How do you determine what needs to be replaced? Just the sash or the entire windowsill? Well, that's a good question. And first of all, I start with what needs to be done relative to what's possible. Some window systems were set up so that there was no way for a sash to be replaced, not without really damaging the stopping mechanism and the weather stripping that would hold that unit in place. So first of all, determine whether that's doable. And and most homeowners aren't going to be able to do that themselves. They're going to need to bring a contractor in. Now, if it's a double hung, for example, an older house, those sash replacement units are always made available. You can get a custom sash for that unit, pull out the existing single-pane glass, typically, and then install thermal-pane windows, low argon, for example, and then put a new sash liner in place. I did that in my house in numerous oh, you cases. Did. Yeah, and it's doable. It's a matter of getting the right size unit in place and then dropping them in. Casements, typically, you're going to take the whole sash out. Now, the only way to determine if the frame is going to is its condition. Most of our older houses were all wood. Today, you might want clad and no maintenance. So now you start looking at that and going, well, just to replace the sash is going to cost me X number of dollars. Can I do it for twice as much and have a whole new window? And now the question is, what kind of siding do I have? Is it stucco clad? Is it brick? Is it going to be something very challenging relative to the exterior? What's my trim on the inside? So very typically consumers say, well, I'll leave the frame alone and I'll put an inset sash uh, package in or I'll do a casement package and inset it in the existing frame. And those are the typical ways to keep costs lower, and then we'll use vinyl as a material that's lower costs and manages the weather. But recent studies have shown that oftentimes that vinyl insert installation doesn't get good weather stripping around the insert relative to the frame. And so we put an infrared camera on those and go, oh, look at all these cold spots around our insert window. And because that's typically done by subcontractors of the subcontractor, (laughs) we end up having people who care more about their speed and efficiency relative to dollars than the overall quality of the project. And I tell people the only way to know what you got is to get an infrared on it, to actually do a blower door test or to do a depressurization test and get an infrared camera to know how good the installation was. Without that, you're not sure. It's amazing what you can learn with that. It's stunning what you can learn. Yeah, Yeah, right. 
All right, 651-989-9226. Let's go back to the phones. Mike is calling from Bayport with a question. Go ahead, Mike. Good morning. We are redoing a attached two-car garage in to be part of the house, to be sure. a rec room, basically. Yeah. So there is sheetrock and insulation in there, but it's old, it's old wool bat insulation, and we're going to rip all that out. What I'm wondering mostly for the ceiling is, if it's, I'm sure it's preferable to go with foam, but the room is about 22 by 26, so, you know, 450 square feet or so. Yeah. What can I expect for a cost difference? And if I end up going with glass, how thick does it need to be? Because there is a, a floor in the attic above it, too, i got to deal with. Sure. I think that you can anticipate $4 a square foot for a foam installation in a wall cavity. You're putting it in the roof, typically, where our code required now, R44, if it's an attic space. Now, sometimes in remodel, we can get that number to drop down. That's where things get real dicey relative to cost. So when you think of an R22 being, or an R20 being four bucks a square foot, when you double up the R value, you double the cost to install. So you end up with a fairly substantial number. You're going to be $3,500 to $4,000 to do foam and something like that. Now, bats can be done for under a grand. So the challenge is, do I want to go split the difference and then come back in with something better, full coverage, like a blown-in cellulose or a blown-in fiberglass? And in your case, that's what I would recommend. The, the rock goes back up on the lid. Then you have to determine how you're going to handle vapor retarder. And in my mind, plastic still does work as a vapor retarder. Put the poly up, put the rock up on top uh, from underneath that, and then you can blow that whole thing in. And that's the most cost-efficient way to handle it. It's not the most uh, airtight way, but the rest of the house isn't that airtight either. So it ends up being, in my mind, an acceptable middle-of-the-road choice relative to efficiency versus cost. It has the highest value, I think, in most of our existing older homes. You know what I want to ask you, since you're so knowledgeable in codes and you're building uh, these fantastic homes, what is the deal with radon now uh, as far as uh, new, new construction? Well, the issue is the codes came in and required that radon mitigation systems be installed in all new construction. Uh, so that's what it said. And then the definition of new construction was, well, that does that apply to an addition? And it took about six months for the Department of Labor to decide, no, it doesn't apply to an addition, only to a new house. That rule is still in place. It is, does not yet require active or fan-powered installations, so we can still do a passive vent system out of the subterranean area beneath our basement floor, typically, mm-hmm. you can tap into the sump basket, run a radon mitigation pipe in place, but you must install with a future fan location made available and power for that future ah. fan. So now, typically, you're up in the attic with a power supply, and because you have a power supply, you have to have light. <laughs> so now you have to have electrical outlet for your power supply, and you have to have light to see what you're doing, and you have to have a 36-inch clear space for the fan to be installed. Now, the fun part about that is we're hoping that the days are coming, and in fact, maybe in the next 7 to 10 years, where fans will be tested in such a way that we know they don't leak. The current rule does not allow a fan to be installed within the living space. It has to be outside the living space. It can be outside the wall of the house, outside roof of the house, or mm. up in an attic space. But it can't be inside the breathing zone inside the home because there's no reliable way to test whether the fan itself is leaking. So until we have a protocol for fan testing to guarantee that the radon fan and its connections are not going to back leak radon into the home, we can't put the fan inside the living space of the house. But I believe that that day will be coming. Now, get this, Danny. In a remodel, there aren't any rules. There aren't. No, because it's, there's, there's a, a, a protocol that we believe is better, but there's no code demand to put in mitigation in an existing house. 
So uh, I should say the only time that comes up is when the house already has a radon system. Now we add on, we now have to put radon systems into the new portion of the home. But I could come back into a 1955 home and put a radon mitigation fan in my basement because there's no rule that governs it. Now, whether that's wise or not is a different discussion, but it would be legal from a code standpoint. Interesting. All right, I'll tell you what, Barry, let's uh, take a break here. Uh, Thanks, Mike, by the way, for your phone call. When we come back, we'll pick up on some text messages. If you have one, you want to, that's easier for you. Uh, The uh, number is 81807 for text messages, 81807, or call us. 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226. We're talking home improvement here on 830-WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our home improvement show. Barry Strands in for Andy Lindis today, helping us out. And, uh, Barry, we do have some... Uh, I think next time you come back, I got to hear you finish the story about the, the granite that you. I want them talking. all to see you kind of bopping around the studio <laughs> when the music is playing. Oh, yes. That's what I think would be more fun. <laughs> Absolutely, let's it is some, fun. Let's take questions. All right, we'll, so do, we'll do our job here. Right, we did the window question. Here is one: Are there state codes concerning basements with drain tiles where the water runs into the sanitary sewer and there is no sump pump? Well, that's a good question for, for – it's got to be split into two parts. Number one, existing houses versus new construction. So new construction, you, can, you cannot dump a sump basket into a sanitary sewer. Now, then we go back into existing homes, and in existing homes, we're going to be controlled by zoning ordinances. So zoning ordinances are going to dictate the rules there. So we've had a whole bunch of cities, like Duluth, for example, that came through and said, we have to issue disconnect notices, you can't dump your – collection of what is groundwater and put it down your sewer drain on your floor because it's just going to be taxing the system for water control. So as a result, most of the time the answer to that is no, you can't dump your sump basket water into a floor drain. However, in some cases, freeze-thaw cycles get to be so problematic that they'll let you do it in the coldest months of the winter. But that's a city-by-city issue. It is not state code governed. State code is only going to govern new construction. There's no retrofit code requirements there in an existing home. Oh, interesting. All right. I've never had that question before except in class. No kidding. Yeah, I've never come up on a radio show or conversation, so it's a fun question. Well, thanks to the texter for sending that in. Uh, Here is another one that says, I have an extender on a leaf guard gutter that got run over with a snowplow. The last two inches are flat. Can it be repaired or replaced? The answer is everything can be repaired or replaced. The key caveat is or, and you're going to need to have one of their experts take a look at that and tell you which it's going to be. Now, maybe you can send them a photo, take a picture, send it off to the office. The office staff there is so helpful. They'll take a look at that. They'll show the lead guy on the, on the gutter team, and he'll tell you what you need to do. Yeah, and it, 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 uh, it well, again, uh, 1-800-LEAF-GUARD. 1-800-LEAF-GUARD. For goodness sakes, they can help. All right. Let's see here. Another text says this. Uh, Hi, we're putting our 18-year-old Rambler up for sale in the spring in Champlin. We're ticking off the long list of upgrades our real estate agent gave us, like remodel the bath, declutter, new deck, carpet, painting, and have budget for one more project. Would you, one, finish and make nice the lower-level laundry room with installed storage, or two, drywall paint, nice storage, and new floor in the garage? So one or two, I don't know. 
Uh, boy, the, the question on that in terms of the dollar investment based on what market expectations are, I, I think that the bang for the buck there is the garage, although I think that that depends on who the buyer is. I, there That's are certainly, true. I mean, uh, I can't go into – I can't do that on the radio. But some parts of our culture really want their garage to be special. <laughs> Other parts That's really want true. the laundry room to be special, and yeah. you can decide who is who. Yeah, that's true. That that's that's be a hard. Qu- it's a, it is a hard question. Every remember, everything is market expectation, and market expectation is relative to value in a neighborhood. So, what are people Good seeing point. when they go shop that neighborhood for a house in that price point? That will drive the expectation, what they think they have a reasonable right to expect of the home at this price point. Makes sense. All right, eight one eight zero seven is the uh, text number. Where did I leave off here? Okay. Uh, to, to our refrigerator water dispenser malfunction and water poured onto the kitchen floor and down into the basement causing significant damage. Uh, we've uh, had a company come in and dry out the house. Uh, their question is, does Lindis do remodeling and restoration? Absolutely. 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 Give them a call. Give them a call. Come out, give you a number, tell you what they think it's going to cost. And uh, certainly, certainly talk to them about that. Oh, yeah. They do all that stuff. Yep. 1-800-LEAFGUARD. Uh, there's a plumbing question here. Toilet leaks when flushing. Tile is a bit uneven, so when sitting on it, it rocks. Yeah. I put shims under it, but they weren't in the right place, I guess. Can I fix the leak? Oh, it's uh, leaking now. Uh, The toilet leaks when flushing without pulling and resetting the toilet. No, the answer is no, 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 no. The only way to fix that is to solve the leaking problem. And I have a, you know, I'm 99% sure it's a problem with the wax bowl ring, and that's why you're seeing it. It's probably also what's causing the unevenness because what's ever underneath the floor is swelling from the moisture. So the toilet has to come off. That's not the end of the world. No. You shut the water supply off. You do a disconnect there. You then take the bolts off the base of the toilet flange, pop it off, set it to the side, and then look at what you got. Then you have to decide, though, if you're going to fix stuff that's broken underneath. And you might have mold. You might have other issues. And are there new wax bowl ring. I was going to say, are there differences in the, the, the wax, uh, the ring? There are differences in thickness. Some have a collar that are designed oh, okay. to, uh, to focus waste locations. Uh, but all of them still, even the expensive versions, are like $3.99. They're not expensive. Four bucks, and you can solve the problem even with the best of equipment. All right, let's go back to the phones here before we run out of time. Bob is calling from uh, St. Paul. Go ahead, Bob. You're on with Barry. Uh, Hi, Barry. Um, I built a a four-season porch about seven years ago, and we have a gas fireplace out here. Um, In the beginning, the floor was nice and warm. Uh, We noticed the last few years it's starting to get a little bit chilly. Um, There is nothing underneath. It's all wide open underneath. Uh, I believe the gentleman that is normally there uh, at one time talked about the uh, the basement company that you guys talk about all the time could sure. spray stuff underneath there. I had him come out. He said he could just the top, not on the ground. But should I have that enclosed all the way around with just a crawl space? Well, the question is what you want is the final outcome. And there's no question that we can spray from underneath. But the issues relative to thermal are going to be what kind of insulation volume that we can create. I wouldn't necessarily believe that you need to enclose a crawl space if you can get proper levels of insulation underneath the floor. But that really is what you need to do to keep that floor warm. Just can't keep dumping heat at that. So I think the issue is cost versus value. And when you're all done, I don't think you're going to gain much more value by adding a foundation. I would just spray the foam. Okay, sounds good. I will do yep. that. Thank you very yep. much. Okay, Bob. Thank you okay. very much. Okay, bye-bye. 
Uh, let's see. When we had the egress window installed in the basement bedroom years ago, it was inspected and legal. Now the city says it does not confirm. Bedroom size is 13 by 13 plus or minus. What is the correct size? Well, correct size for an egress window is a minimum opening dimension of 24 inches in height, 20 inches in width, 44 inches maximum sill height off the floor, and 5.7 square feet net clear opening when you multiply the height and the width together. Unless you're within uh, uh, 44 inches of the finish grade, and then you can drop that number from 5.7 down to 5.0 square feet. Now... If it was that was in, all in your head. Yeah, yeah, I teach this stuff. <laughs> um, the issue is really about what, what was approved because the current code says if you replace a window, you don't need to meet those numbers. A replacement window only needs to be, and I quote, the manufacturer's largest standard size that fits the existing frame or existing rough opening. Hmm. That's all you have to have. Okay. Just like that. Yeah. All right, let's see if we can get this in. I'm installing new, not replacement gutters. I want to also install underground discharge with pop-ups for downspots. What should be installed first? Oh, I think it doesn't matter in this case. You could do it either way. All you're going to have is a small disconnect at the rain leader to do your groundwork. The groundwork is much more involved, though, so I would tackle that first just because of how much hassle that has that is going to end up being. Barry, you've done it again. Thank you so much. You're so much fun, Danny. And you guys, he's really awesome. You should <laughs> hang around with him. We're <laughs> friends on Facebook. I tell all my people. I'm friends with Danny Long on Facebook. And, and when you come back, I want to hear more about your projects at home. Oh, yeah, I can talk about it. All right, good yeah. deal. Thanks, Barry Strands. You want to get in touch with Linda's Construction. We told you this earlier. Easiest number to remember is 1-800-LEAFGUARD. Real Estate Show next hour.